Hi everyone, welcome back to the San Diego News Fix. I'm your host, Christy Totten. Starting today, the News Fix will take on a slightly different shape. We're keeping the reporter interview you've come to expect, and we're adding local newscasts and opinion coverage. We hope you enjoy the new format. First, the news. California Governor Gavin Newsom visited the Petco Park vaccination superstation on Monday, where more than 5,000 San Diegans are vaccinated each day. Newsom's visit included a tour of the site, which was used in part to congratulate leadership and volunteers in San Diego, which launched the state's first superstation last month. The Department of Defense Inspector General released its report on COVID outbreaks on two Navy ships on Monday. The Inspector General says that while the Navy had mitigation plans in place, leaders of the USS Theodore Roosevelt allowed the sailors to gather in common areas and let infected sailors out of quarantine too early, leading to more sailors catching COVID-19. San Diego Unified is allowing disadvantaged students to come to school campuses to do distance learning. The district struck an agreement with its teachers union on Thursday to offer so-called learning labs to certain groups of students, including those who need internet, who have disabilities or special needs, and those who struggle to learn English, among others. The district has been providing in-person support by appointment since October. With the changes, there are now about 22,000 San Diego Unified students who qualify for in-person services. San Diego is paying out $2.5 million, including nearly $1 million in litigation costs, to settle a case of alleged excessive force and false arrest by a city police detective in 2016. It's one of the largest payouts in San Diego history. Gregory McNally suffered severe face and head injuries at the Fashion Valley trolley station in July 2016 when Detective Daniel Reese pepper sprayed him and threw him to the ground during an incident captured on video. The city council is scheduled Tuesday to approve the settlement. You can find these stories and more at San Diego Union Tribune.com. $5 billion pipeline project could bring Colorado River water from Imperial Valley to the San Diego region. Jim Medaffer is leading the proposal. He's a former San Diego City Council member, and he currently sits on the board of the San Diego County Water Authority. Medaffer says the pipeline would bring savings to water customers who pay some of the highest rates for water in the country. But the proposal has its critics. Many of the Water Authority's board members are not convinced it would save money, and environmentalists are concerned the 130-mile pipeline would mar the land. Joshua Emerson Smith is the environment reporter here at the San Diego Union Tribune. Joshua, there's talk of building this $5 billion water pipeline from Imperial Valley to San Diego. Who is behind this and what is the rationale for doing it? So this is the San Diego County Water Authority, the wholesaler for the region. And it was formed specifically to build a pipeline up to Riverside County back in the 40s to bring water from the Colorado River through its parent agency, the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California to our region. And now they're exploring the possibility of building another pipeline, this one, rather than going north, going east out to the Imperial Valley and hooking up with the All-American Canal to also bring Colorado River water to our region. And so they're saying the, the main reason for this is cost savings to San Diegans, is that right? Uh, that is the stated reason for looking at this, yes, that they feel like if they had a pipeline that connected them to a different water district, the 
uh, Imperial Irrigation District that they could negotiate a better cost on bringing that water to the region than doing it through MWD. So the San Diego County Water Authority Board, most of the members are against this. 20 out of 36 voted no, uh, but the weighted nature of the board's votes pushed it through. What are those uh, board members' concerns? So many of those board members that you were just referencing, the 20 on the board, are the folks who are the most senior water managers in San Diego. So these are people that sit on local utilities and different um, water agencies, and many of them in North County. And they were very concerned that if we build this, it will drive up the cost of water even higher than what it is already. It should be noted that we have some of the highest water rates in the country. I mean, so how do we reconcile this? On one hand, proponents are saying this is going to save us money. On the other hand, you're saying these senior members of the board are saying actually this is going to cost money and, and, and drive rates up, at least in the short term. Um, how do we know it's true? Uh, well, so far, all we have to go on are dueling studies. So the San Diego County Water Authority produced one study, and then the folks on the board the, who represent the member agencies um, that were opposing this hired their own consultants and did their own study. And basically what they were arguing over was how long is this going to take to pencil out? And the water authorities figures um, suggested that this might pencil out somewhere around uh, 2060. And the folks who were more skeptical said, no, it will be at least until 2080, if not decades later. But it's, it's hard to say exactly um, whether or not it would pencil out because it, it, it's, it's, it relies on so you have to uh, factor in so many other things that are yet to be determined, like what kind of deal would they strike with IID versus MWD? There are a couple different proposals as to where the pipeline would actually uh, be. Can you walk us through those two different options? Yeah, so there's two, there's two different routes that they're looking at now. They would both go from the All-American Canal outside of El Centro through the desert, through the Cuyamaca Mountains, and either then to the San Vicente Reservoir or to a water treatment plant uh, near San Marcos. And one of them, the preferred route, or the one that has been most heavily scrutinized, is the one that goes through Borrego Springs. And... Um, that one has been pretty contentious with some people in town saying they want to continue to explore it. Others saying it would ruin the ambiance and threaten the natural environment to a pretty large extent. Yeah, I mean, this is a 130 mile pipeline. Um, what are the environmentalist concerns? That you would have to dig up the desert, the Anza Borrego Desert State Park, that you would be digging a trench and laying a pipe there and that all the construction would cause noise and air pollution, uh, animals could fall in the trench, uh, just the damage that you'd have to do to the immediate site. And then drilling through the Cuyamaca Mountains would be uh, a tremendous feat. And one of the main concerns there is even if everything went exactly as planned, there's still a good chance that surface water that comes off of the mountains could leak into the tunnel that you'd have to drill essentially draining the, that water that 
many animals that live on the mountain rely on. So a streak, a cream, uh, a creek bed could dry up and the Borrego sheep wouldn't be able to drink out of it anymore. So this isn't the first time a pipeline like this has been discussed. You mentioned before, you know, in 1996, throughout the past 20 years, um, ultimately these projects failed because of the price tag. But why do supporters think now is the time? You know, I mean, I don't know why now is the time uh, per se, other than that um, the former city councilman and political consultant Jim McGaffer revived this around 2018, 2019, when he became chair of the Water Authority Board. And so he, it seems that he used that leverage of being the chair to revive this. But it's been studied recently, you know, as recently as 2017. And then going back to 1996, and then even back before that, it was studied in the 30s as an alternative to building the San Diego aqueduct that we have today up to uh, up to Riverside County. And where does San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria stand on this? We don't know. We don't know that exactly. He almost certainly has the political ability to quash this. He could um, remove Jim from the board. He could not reappoint him uh, in 2022 when his term is up. Um, he has a number of appointments on the board coming up, so he could appoint people who uh, are hostile to this idea. Um, but he hasn't said where he stands on this on this position yet. We don't know. Um, and finally, Medaffer has until 2022 to raise money for this. What can we expect between then and now? Your guess is as good as mine. Uh, he said <laughs> that he's looking for public-private partnerships, um, maybe deals with labor. Uh, he was hoping that Borrego Springs would get on board with this because they're having issues with their groundwater aquifer. And they were thinking maybe they could use this water um, in a retention basin somewhere there that would uh, help them in some way. Uh, so he's looking for any way to bring the cost down for San Diego ratepayers, especially up front. But we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. But he has said that, you know, if, if this can't happen at a savings, he will not pursue it. Is that right? That's right. That's right. That's what he said. And I mean, we pushed him pretty hard on this. And he said, even if it was a temporary bump in rates, he wouldn't he wouldn't support it. So not just will it pencil out over the next century, but will we see any rates go up in the near term? Now, it's worth noting that the city of San Diego under Faulkner, under uh, former San Diego Mayor Kim Faulkner sent a letter to the water board saying that the city of San Diego was not interested in paying for this because they're already doling out lots of money for their water recycling program, pure water, and they didn't want to be saddled with any additional costs. And if that's the case, if San Diego backs out of this, it could all be put on the other water districts, making any kind of price increase that much sharper for those ratepayers. And so I think that there's a there's a sensitivity to that, and they know that this is not this is going to be a big political uh, issue if they can't um, keep rates flat. And finally today, we're talking to Laura Castaneda, the community opinion editor at the Union Tribune. Laura oversees opinion stories written by community members on a variety of topics. Laura, welcome. Hi there, so happy to be here. 
Okay, you edit writers from all walks of life on many different subjects, and some of them are assigned, some of them come in unsolicited, but how do you choose what to cover? That's a great question. And for me, it's like I live, I breathe, I walk, I read, I watch, and ideas are churning in my mind. Um, Since the Black Lives Matter movement happened, um, a lot of the ideas that I have brought to the table to the San Diego Union Tribune just come from a lot of the things that I'm hearing. You know, sometimes somebody might post something on social media and I'm like, you know what, that that is a fantastic subject. Um, And the Black Lives Matter helped um, really push a lot of those thoughts into my head. Um, I was born and raised in Chicago in a very urban, multicultural setting, but that's not life for everybody here in San Diego, California. So a lot of what I grew up um, knowing and being used to and thinking about different disparities and inequalities that are in that affect different neighborhoods, people might not always be in touch with those same thoughts and ideas here. So a lot of times it's even my own personal upbringing and background which make, would, would, that helps me bring ideas to the table. Um, for example, during the Black Lives Matter movement, we looked at disparities in sports. We looked at disparities in, um, you know, um, gosh, let me see, we did so many. I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head what er- different areas in the entertainment field, in education, in medicine, um, just a lot of different areas that uh, even journalism that a lot of people don't really think about day to day. And then, of course, back to back with that, with those subjects that are so important, we also had other subjects that were happening, politics, the election, um, you know, COVID. I mean, there's just been so many things back to back. So there's been no shortage of Yeah, that's something I love about what you do is you expose me personally to so many different voices, you know, that maybe I haven't heard of, maybe you haven't, you know, you you know about, but you don't know exactly what's going on in that community. Um, Is there there something that stands out to you, you know, that you've learned since you've been on this job, Uh, maybe, you know, a community or a perspective that you, you know, just learn more about by running these essays? Every day, every single time that I open my inbox and I'm evaluating and looking at some of these um, you know, unsolicited op-eds that we get, um, you know, those are points of view and, and we want to share as much of that as we can. A lot of times, you know, I, 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 I'm going to bring up something that I think we all learned on our team. We learned a big lesson about when we were trying to put together a package of op-eds on Prop 16, which was about affirmative action. And uh, we reached out to a couple people that we thought could bring the pro and the con to the issue. But as it turns out, we heard from a third sector of the community that said, wait a minute, this isn't just a cut and dry, you know, this side and this side issue. There are many different uh, opinions about this. And so I think that that package really opened my eyes to trying to remember that when we put something together, it's like, it's not always just a pro and a con. There could be many in-between voices and we shouldn't leave those out. And we found out also with voting blocks, like we hear so many times or we've heard so many times, oh, you know, what was the Asian uh, vote like? What was the Latino vote like? You know, and, and that is not always a one size fits all as you and I both know that, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very complicated uh, label that people put on things. So I think it's that, you know, just, 
you know, I've learned a lot. And, and if, if you and I are learning things every day on our job, then we know that we have room to educate the community about something too. And as far as giving diversity a platform, you have like an amazing series up right now by uh, transgender writers in San Diego. Can you tell us a little about that? Yes. And you know what, Christy, that um, really is so important because we want to bring, you know, we want to bring more voices to the table, voices that have been ignored for too long, voices that have just been pushed aside, voices that never seem to be that important to the mainstream media. And it, it has to stop because we are in a world where there's room for everybody to voice their concerns about whatever the issue might be. So I remember when I was a reporter at Channel 10 um, many years ago that um, I covered a very horrible story in Bankers Hill about a transgender individual who was trying to um, uh, um, have a sex change. And in order to do that, um, it's my understanding that you have to get a letter from a psychiatrist and something went horribly wrong with that situation. And the person um, ended up, the patient ended up killing the doctor. And, and I bring that up because I've never forgot. There's certain stories you don't ever forget. And that was one of them. And the media tripped all over themselves, me included. Like I remember the media calling the person a cross-dresser and just mislabeling, misinformed, miseducated. And so if we're tripping all over ourselves trying to tell this story, imagine the confusion that we bring to readers and viewers, right? And remember, this was, that was in a time where people didn't even use the word transgender or cisgender. You know, people were very, very quiet about these uh, communities. And so no, you know, fast forward where we're at now, and you are seeing groups of transgender individuals come out and speak about different issues. So that's really what kind of gave me the idea to do this. Like, that is a community that has, has been silenced. And we have a transgender community in San Diego. So why not see what's important to them and let them have a platform to be able to, to, uh, to encourage people to think, to uh, not be afraid to ask questions. Cause I think that's a big part of it. And we even included a little glossary. Um, you know, there's still a lot of uncomfortableness and shyness and, being afraid to trip over yourself and not, you know, ask the right questions. And so that was one of the reasons why I thought it was super important. And we have a great relationship with the Pride Center. Um, Fernando Lopez is on our community advisory board and he is just amazing in terms of having that relationship and that um, confianza, as we say in, in Spanish, you know, the, the uh, comfort of being able to ask the questions so you don't feel dumb asking the question and making sure that we put out the right information. So we ran this series on Sunday. We got a lot of great feedback. And then it, the timing was perfect because it coincided with the Biden administration overturning the ban to allow transgender individuals to serve in the military. So the timing was great. And then two days later, after we published this on Sunday, Yesterday, we were able to give another platform and voices to transgender military people to be able to talk about that. So I think I answered too much in that question, but I think you get it. 
No, absolutely not. I was just going to say, I would highly recommend that package. You know, I've only read a few of them so far, but the one, the mother's journey, you know, helping her child to sort of come out and find their way was so powerful. I think I actually cried a little bit reading it, if I'm being honest. Uh, and then one of the military ones yesterday, you know, a trans man that's able to serve openly for the first time in a long career, uh, you know, who, who signed up under the don't ask, don't tell policy. So highly recommend those. We'll go ahead and link to those. Um, but my final question for you, oh, first of all, I wanted to note that these stories are free to the community, right? You don't have to have a subscription to read them. So you can just go to San Diego Union Tribune.com um, slash commentary and find these. But how can people get in touch with you if they want to contribute a story? I would say send me an email and I get a lot of emails and I do try to answer them all um, and get back to people. You know, we, we can't take them all. We only have so much bandwidth and we only have so much bandwidth. Um, you know, resources on our team, right? But we do evaluate them all. And I know sometimes people get a little bit impatient because they might send something and they don't hear from us within 48 hours. They're like, you know, I sent you this piece. Are you going to use it or not? Um, so we do we do take a minute to get back to people. Um, if the issues are timely to news events, that helps a little bit more. Um, our op-eds come in must come in between 700 and 750 words to be considered. And we ask that you do not send attachments, that you actually cut and paste the actual op-ed into the email and make sure that you include your contact information, obviously your email, your cell phone, and a little sentence about who you are and what you do and why your voice should be attached to this piece. Um, the other thing that we, uh, I also end up uh, emailing everybody about is just to put in there what neighborhood you live in. And why is that important? Because again, we wanna show the diversity. We wanna show the geographical diversity that we're not just getting voices and opinions from people that live by the beach or people that live you know, in East County that we're just trying to spread the wealth. Thank you again for tuning into the San Diego News Fix. For more news, visit us online at sandiegouniontribune.com. I'm your host, Christy Totten, and we'll be back tomorrow.